0: Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu.
1: And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast.
0: A podcast for marketing ops pros.
1: And RevOps pros.
0: Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals.
2: Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 21 of OpsCast, brought to you by the MoPros. I'm Michael Hartman, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mike Rizzo. Mike, say hello.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: All right. So today we are excited to have with us Jeff Cube, Director of Global Marketing Operations at Magnitude Software. And he's here today to talk to us about lessons that he's learned from rolling out multi-touch attribution. I know we all are uh, talk about that kind of daily, probably. Jeff is a seasoned professional in marketing operations and marketing technology. He has a particular passion about the the data governance part of marketing operations and how um, they can be strategic levers to support revenue growth. So with that, Jeff, thank you for joining us today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that's a great intro. I love it.
0: All right. Well, let's just dive right into this. Um, So Jeff, uh, I, I know we traded some conversations before, but you know, we have talked to other folks about uh, attribution reporting, um, but I don't think we've talked specifically about multi-touch. I think we've probably touched on the different types of attribution uh, methodologies, if you will. So for, so for the folks who are either new or just to guide the conversation, really, like, like let's put some definition around it. Like, how do you define multi-touch attribution? And, you know, how does that compare to other types? I guess there's usually... First touch, last touch, maybe some others. Thoughts?
2: Yep. So for the uninitiated, let's let's start with a description of attribution, right, in that it identifies a key activity or event that led to a conclusion, right? And I'm keeping that very vague, right? And I'll give you some examples. So a couple of examples in real life could include, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings and a few days later, a tsunami rolls in on a beach somewhere or you plant and, you know, that's extreme or you plant some apple seeds and years later you're picking apples from a tree, right? So in marketing we'll refer to different types of attribution touches, right? And which is simply when a prospect or a hand waiver or a lead engages with us, the business, right? And, you know, I use prospect hand waiver lead, hand waiver, lead loosely because different businesses use those terms in very different ways, right? So SAP is going to be a hand waiver is someone who's just filled in a form to get an asset, right? Um, But in a smaller business, that may be an MQL. Um, So so I just want to make that, that's why I use these terms loosely of prospect hand waiver lead Uh, as well. Prospect and lead are used very differently in, in different platforms as well, right? In Marketo, it used to be a lead. Now Marketo calls them persons. Um, uh, Pardot calls them a prospect. Uh, and Salesforce has leads and contacts. So getting back to touch points, right? And attribute, touch attribution, there's different types of touch points. There's uh, single touch. You, you might hear that term single touch, and often that refers to the first touch or the last touch before oppor- before an opportunity is created. There's also U-shaped, W-shaped, full funnel. There's ML for machine learning. Uh, and then there's a custom model, right? And with the U shaped and W shape, they have specific weighted weights to the weightings applied to those touches. But the full funnel machine learning custom, these get into more complex weighting issues, right? Uh, and by weighting, I mean a percentage out of 100% goes to that activity. Uh, but we'll get into, we'll come back to that. So single touch only gives credit to one marketing touch point. And generally, like I said, that's the lead crea- uh, lead creation or last touch before opportunity creation. But that first touch, for example, or single touch could be an ad click or in the past a trade show uh, trade show booth visit, right? Multi-touch assumes that all touch points play some role in driving a conversion. And that can include first touch, like I said, via a search term in a browser, a display ad click, and then the next touch could be the lead creation occurring on a form. Later, there could be an asset download, uh, webinar registration, or a view on the website. And within multi-touch journeys, there are four clear touch points identified. Now, I want to point out, I'm ref- because I work with Visible, uh, I'm going to be referencing terms used in Visible. There are other platforms out there for multi-touch attribution dream data is one on a I think episode 6 or 16 I can't remember what it was but you had on uh, some folks from there as well talking mm-hmm. about their their multi-touch attribution platform and I've checked that out and I really like it uh, they are building out their marketo integration so I don't know where that's at yet uh, but it looked pretty good and I think there's bound to be more people more co- more companies, startups developing these types of solutions.
1: Yeah, totally. I think, you know, the the world of uh, multi-touch attribution uh, providers and, like, trying to give you, like, the visibility into multi-touch is, like, such a hot market. It, it, I think it has been a long time. I remember when I first checked out Marketo, actually, they were championing that they had, like, this really strong analytics package that would, like, help you with multi-touch. And when I checked it out, I was like, eh, like it's there but it's still like not really giving me it's it's pretty manual right like you're like you can pivot data around and like get a sense of what's going on but it's not really telling us anything and and like at the end of the day like i don't like is it right or wrong to use wu first touch last touch like i don't i don't think anybody's established that and i think a lot of these providers are going after at least right now, from what I've seen, like the dream data is the, in the visibles, like they're just trying to make it easier for you to interact with that data, right. To try to make a decision about multi-touch, which I think is critical. Cause like, this is really complex. Like you just laid out a bunch of super complex, like models that like, for those of us who are not overly familiar with, you know, this, this landscape of multi-touch attribution, that's overwhelming. Right. I mean, I, we're, a lot of us are very familiar with those terms, but like I'm, like, picturing a U-shape and a W-shape attribution model, and I'm like, where's the weighting? Is it at the top or the bottom of the W? <laughs> so
2: well, you know, that's a really good point. Like, U-shaped really is simply looking at the first. So you can go single touch, where you pick either the first or the last touch. Or you can go U-shaped, which is just the first and last touch, right? And weighting them equally, or weighting, giving them a certain weight, and then the bottom of the U really just represents these very low value touch points that can occur that are web page visits or email clicks, right? Uh, w is the exact same thing. and But W does first touch, lead creation, and opportunity creation, right? So essentially a first touch, middle touch, last touch. And then full funnel is really just adding another line to that W called you know, as if it, and I don't, you know, that'd be a double V, right? Which is funny because in French, W is W, right? Kind of ironic. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, um, you essentially get four, you get four tops, right? And uh, that fourth one is closed one. So if you choose full funnel, you're actually working on, you could argue that uh, you are working with W-shaped, uh, and t- until the de- until the deal is closed right so in when you look at your touch points if you're working on full funnel you're actually getting 100 and if the lead came in through was marketing converted lead through a marketing source you're actually getting 100% contribution at the beginning but then once the deal becomes closed one it drops to set drops to 77.5% of marketing mm-hmm. contribution because the opportunity creation that is the last You know, it's a marketing event that occurred before opportunity creation. And that could have been they attended a webinar, they, you know, downloaded a white paper, um, uh, any activity you define really, right, as, as a key activity, but that closed one then become you know goes from w you know I mean, you, I know you guys can that you're not recording video but you guys can see my hands moving in the camera obviously <laughs> right but um I talk with my hands too for
1: the visual learners like it, it, you know just picturing a w is very helpful and I think even the double v makes sense right yeah. and and that last touch point like to me that sounds like you're saying hey we're going to measure things like we actually showed them or Um, put effort or money behind, you know, getting them in contact with a current client, or we showed them case studies or something like that, that were produced by marketing, and they might have sunk costs to those marketing assets. But we're going to attribute that last little push over the edge for this closed one opportunity, at least in the B2B world, you know, hey, the, uh, the case study that we presented to this person actually should get a little bit of credit for this too at this, at the final throes of signing the deal.
2: Right. Yeah. Kind of what you're saying. Yeah. There I'm careful. I'm very cautious about the word credit. I don't think the word credit should have a place. Ah, in this, nice. Right. Because credit to salespeople is, is very different, right there. It's like, no, we brought that deal in. We talked to those people, we sold it to them. And the key thing and you know the thing with attribution is it's influence we have influenced the we have influenced the opportunity in some way and so I want to give a real life example of of because sometimes it's tough for people to imagine these marketing touch points because they're just a bunch of electrons in most cases they don't exist right we can't see them they don't exist so give an example of something that's real. And I like to use an example of gardening. And I'm no gardener, um, but uh, I, I I know gardeners and, and it's a lot of work, right? Like you could have gone to the store and paid two bucks and bought some vegetables or grown them in your garden for a lot of effort. But let me get to the point. Uh, in gardening, you have to do some steps. You have to prepare the ground, You have to add soil. So preparing the ground, you remove rocks and weeds, but you add soil if the soil needs fresh soil. You're going to dig a trowel. You know, maybe it's just a trowel with your finger, creating a little path, and you're going to add some seeds to it for whatever vegetable you're going to grow. And you add some fertilizer, perhaps some powder that helps, you know, it's full of nutrients for the dirt to go into the soil. Then you're going to watch this, this little bud, little plant grow. And you're gonna nurture it, and you're gonna nurture it by clearing the weeds that may grow. you're gonna water it regularly until eventually all these physical touches, physical efforts have led to you know success. You have some produce to eat. Which one of all those activities is you know led to the success of this vegetable growing? It's not a single one, right? You put some seeds inside the inside the dirt. Well, if the dirt, you know, wasn't rich, um, the seed wouldn't have taken, it wouldn't have grown, right? If you didn't water and you had a heat wave like we've had recently, then, you know, your seeds will die. They won't germinate. Uh, If you didn't remove weeds or if you didn't create some little boundaries to keep, you know, little animals off of getting into your garden, um, all of these things together led to the creation of this vegetable.
1: Hey everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, Palooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim. But if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Events. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. Hey, maybe that seed wasn't ready to grow. and It was just a bad seed for all those uh for all those leads that come through the funnel that are just not ready to uh to that's sign a great deal. you know what
2: <laughs> and and I believe that happens. I believe, you know, when you buy a pack of seeds, let's say there's 100 seeds in there or whatever, some of them are going to be duds. They just yeah. won't ger- they just won't germinate. I don't but garden, they- but I've heard of that.
0: Right. So, <laughs> so I, I garden and I like, this is all relating to me. and
1: <laughs> Michael's recently. like, yes.
0: So I, I have a question, Jeff, that, um, kind of hit me. And, and I think been thinking about a lot and kind of maybe ties in with the whole concept of revenue ops too. Right. So where you're looking across the full, you know, customer journey, buying cycle, whatever term we want to use. And that is like, should these attribution models be focused on, I know it kind of started with marketing, but I'm wondering, like, should do you, do you think that they should include both marketing and I'll call them sales in general, but it could be like BDR, outside sales, would I, like those touches as well. And I think this, and I I'm asking this particularly for B two B world in when when you have a long sales cycle and a big deal size, right? So typically there's sales activity, and at, at the, underneath it or over the top of it, whichever you want to think of it, there's probably marketing activity that's either you know, just air cover kind of stuff, or there's, you've got a thing where, you know, marketing is doing specific things to support the sales efforts that are going on with those, you know, know, active opportunities, if you will. Like, do you think, like, are you seeing more people wanting to look at at, at all the touches or are you you still seeing mostly people focusing on the marketing touches as part of the attribution modeling?
2: So it depends. And it, I believe, what I've seen in my experience right so I don't want to generalize for the industry I can only refer to what I' what I've seen, what I've read. now visible is designed to leverage the entire marketing and sales cycle. you can bring in your CRM stages and track those as weighted values as well and but generally and generally what I've seen is visible is being paid for by the marketing team. And so there's a focus on showing attribution to marketing. Um, And what sales does is what sales does. I think we're a few years away from having that marketing and sales alignment where they work together. Like I've seen businesses where BDRs roll um, uh, roll up to marketing. Or BDRs roll up to sales and it's very interesting because you know you're driving your leads to the BDRs to then find those top quality leads route them to sales Uh, it's it really depends on the structure there is it's the Wild West when it comes to marketing and sales Uh, there is no generalized there's no rules to follow different it it you know is it this you know what is it where does the cmo come from is your cmo a brand strategist or designer by education or did your cmo come come up through the ranks as a data professional right that that's going to define what your reporting is like same thing with your sales people did your sales come up through a bdr who's always been in sales or were they a bdr belonging to a marketing department you can have companies where you have some companies where you have a chief revenue officer and you have customer success and marketing and product report to them. And you have some companies where the CMO and CRO are different people, completely different business units that really don't talk. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't, there is no answer to your question. My experience has been, it's very, been Mark, been very marketing focused. Um, it just means we're under leveraging the, the, the information that's in there, and I'm going to get to that because you, uh, there, there, there's some other things we can talk about, and and I'll get to that later because I have uh, some thoughts. Um, the, the, um, you I
1: mean, know,
2: the, the the different types. There's uh, we talked about how different type. There's different types of attribution, right? Mm-hmm. And you know how how they should be used. You know, you got to think about when do we use these, right? when do we use single touch? When do we use, when is it appropriate to use single touch or when is it appropriate to use full funnel? Um, and you know, I think it depends on who you need to tell the story to or who yeah, you that's were,
1: That's where I was going to go next. Yeah. The, like kind of following suit on Michael's question is like the idea of <clears throat> what's the impetus for the desire to look at multi-touch, right? Like, someone somewhere is selfishly trying to answer a question i you know usually it comes from a, a bit of a selfish place right like and selfish might be a strong word but like we're trying to uh figure out where to spend more money and if only one group is uh, interested in this like that can of course create bias in the way that you want to measure your multi-touch funnel um, but if you have a nice you know Uh, collaboration happening between perhaps like CRO, CMO or sales and marketing or all three then, or even just within the marketing team itself, the different departments inside marketing, whether it's kind of top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel, then I, hopefully the, the stories you're trying to tell as it sounds like you're, where you're headed, Jeff are going to, um, paint a picture that isn't just totally biased, right? Like to like, oh, like I need to prove that I, or disprove that we're spending money in the wrong places or, or what have you. Um, but usually it sounds like there's a question that you're trying to answer. And, and sometimes you have to tell the story of the, like let the da- data tell the story. And I think, I think that's one of the things that I've always been afraid of with this, like multi-touch model is, uh, are, did somebody ask the wrong question? And then try to try to answer it in their own way,
2: right? <laughs> Which we yeah. see all the time. <laughs> yeah, we, we see it all the time because you don't if you don't know what data is available, you don't know what question to ask. Sometimes, uh, the you know, there's a line here. It's basically uh, I have a thought of show you show or hide the touches depending on the audience, right? So
1: mm, that's interesting
2: to, to give you to give some context to that. Let's think about where multi touch really really benefits people and that is for the growth marketers the, you know, if you when you if you're if you choose a go to market approach that is based on a quarter or a half year you know as opposed to sort of ad hoc one off campaigns and you keep things organized you can really leverage multi touch attribution you can start to see how many how many how many you know let's say we call our campaign um Uh, if you have a single product or say you have a a conference and you're going to Sapphire, it's a good example, right? For, for B2B, SAP puts on Sapphire every year inside Vegas. And a lot of people, their entire lot of some small companies that do a lot of small little niche products for SAP customers, their entire lead gen comes from going to Sapphire, right? Um, And Totally lost my train of thought. Make sure to trim this one out. <laughs> um, no, it, no, I think you're headed down. So, so, the so storytelling
1: piece, yeah, right? Like, there's only like this. There's this like big effort. These growth marketers are heading to this like this big event, and yes. they're like, I'm gonna weight everything towards this thing. Or there's actually other events that took place that helped bring this business in, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. And so within those, but now you don't have trade shows. So everything has changed. Right. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so oh,
1: what, not, tr- not true. I'm at one right <laughs> yeah. now. Michael's in Vegas right now. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I just would not do that. Like, I'm, you know, there's the meetup, you know, there's a, there's the, the Vancouver, uh, you know, uh, MoPro's uh, meetup at the end of the day today—it's uh, like ten to fourteen people going—and and I, even though it's at an outdoor patio, I
1: am just hey, not. Everybody's everybody's got their uh, their uh, view on it, but everyone's
2: but, got hey. their
0: own kind of risk tolerance. Yes, away. yes. But hey,
2: so all right, so anyway, let's, getting let's get back, back. Yeah, so getting back to the success. So let's use Sapphire as an example. So Sapphire is one big event. But within Sapphire, businesses will put on many sub campaigns. There's going to be the trade booth. There's going to be the private, you know, when it was in real life, there'd be the trade booth. There'd be the, um, the, the different presentations. There would be the private dinner. There would be the private appointments that you have, you know, that are running on, a, on another floor where all the CEOs are there and you can meet the CEOs, right? Like if you go to Adobe Summit, or when it was Marketo Summit before Adobe bought it, you know, you could meet Steve Lucas and get a meeting with Steve Lucas with your sales rep, right? This is
1: interesting. Like, so you're saying like, even at an event, I I never even thought of it this way, right? Like breaking down these micro moments at this event to try to understand like what might help close a deal or bring a deal in. Um, Because we certainly did that when I was at Mavenlink. I, I got us to and from our conferences in the early days. And we certainly did like dinners and, you know, private rooms to have discussions. Even back at the office in San Francisco during Dreamforce, we would do that. But like, we never went so deep as to say, like, "Hey, which one of those little micro moments at Dreamforce was the thing that might have helped us?" It was just Dreamforce. Yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah. We did.
2: But you know what? If you if you ran a couple dinners, a breakfast, and you know, you spent fifteen twenty thousand dollars on those, and those and those people who attended never turned sure. to opportunities, um, or. You know, you hosted some private, some just some private seminars. You know, you want to be able to identify which of these touch points actually engaged with people who later bought. So that next time round, you can say, you know what, this really didn't wasn't worth the time. For you know, the eighty twenty rule, this wasn't worth the effort that we got out of it. Um, mm-hmm. We could, we should have spent more. We, instead of doing the dinners, we should have done. Uh, more meet and greets kind of thing or a social perhaps you know where you know we could see we did this open how open bar social hour that was way turned out to be way better and we invited more people um, compared to the dinner so you need to be able to identify these these sub campaigns out of the overall go to market campaign so now let's relate this to digital right and so what happens now with or what's happened to sapphire the last couple of years is now you had webinars now you had private business meetings right like essentially uh business matches you know you can go to conferences that you can go to conferences which are just business match conferences where you get matched to a company that can help you help support your business right uh these cost money to to attend they cost money to to run but you want to identify which one of these is having more success. So with Sapphire now, it's all webinars and online, like I said, online business matches and so forth. So you need to be able to identify those. Yeah. Right. So next year, next year, you know, or later on because Sapphire next year, isn't going to be, um, it's going to be it'll probably be in real life but there's going to be a huge virtual component because there are going to be people in businesses who are not going to travel and so that's going to necess it'll be a necessity for like a tool like um like what Hopkins is doing now right where they they just bought a com a company that allows you to do event planning in real life event planning so you'll start to have mm-hmm. hybr- you'll start to have hybrid meetups where Conferences where you know some people who can go, perhaps the people on the West Coast may go to Vegas or Central, go to Vegas, and then people in Europe are not going to travel, uh, but they're going to want to join um, the virtual certain, uh, the virtual events, right? And right. You know, so especially
1: I think, w- like for all of this, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There. Okay. I think for all of this, it's just like, but um, like what this raises just echoes back to that idea of like. Making sure you're uh, asking the right questions, because like I like I said, it was kind of a uh, an eye opener to me just now thinking about like micro touches inside of a virtual or in person event. Like no one anywhere in our organization at the time was asking like which one of those particular things was the thing that that drove it home or drove drove it in um they were they were simply looking at it as this participation and all up spend at this like event whether or not we did a bar thing or a dinner was kind of irrelevant um it didn't mean that we didn't like have a little bit of a campaign for you know sending invites or something like that but like we weren't thinking about like rev rec or attribution or anything like that
0: you you were looking at it as an sort of an aggregate yeah and i think i think a lot of people do that So, so this, like all this conversation to me, uh, I, I'm with you, Mike, right? Like what question are you trying to address with an attribution model mm-hmm. is important to, to be clear about. And who's the audience, Jeff, you mentioned that yeah. the thing that I now go just knowing, cause I've had conversations with people before who like, um, in one of my previous jobs I did ran this stuff internally, but we, we sold marketing services to, to other companies. Cur- firms and one of the consultants there asked me they had a client was looking at doing reporting like this and and because we were in the event business right they wanted to know how to do it for events but i was like i always told them like you got to get that right first on the things that you actually have a lot more control over because events typically are the ones that are hardest to do which so to, to me what begs the question is you know data and reporting is so dependent on uh to me on how that data is generated, right? How this, how's the sausage made? And so, Jeff, from your experience, uh, do, do kind of getting back into like the lesson learned kinds of things from your experiences, what do you think that that organizations need to have in place in terms of um, you like you like data governance, like either data governance or organizational readiness or like tools, like to even be talking about doing attribution where you could actually trust the data enough that you could make informed decisions about where to place those bets, right? If Assuming that's what you're trying to do.
2: Yeah. The, let's start, let's look, go back a bit and look at prerequisites, right? So before you even roll it, roll this out. Um, so, The thing that's the most important thing is, you know, you've referenced this when you were talking, intro, doing the intro for me, that I'm very focused around data governance, and, you know, so as I mentioned, well, let me just step back just for a second, where I basic, you know, I mentioned that you want to show or hide your touches depending on the audience, because I want, I want people to think about this, is that, if you, have, like, you know, let's say you spend four hundred thousand dollars at Dreamforce, Mike, uh. And and you don't break it down into sub campaigns, you can't see where that best investment, where the where you got your best return, on which sub campaign. But at the board level, they don't need to see the sub campaigns, right? Your CMO may want to know what the sub campaigns are, but yeah, when you report, sorry,
0: if you if you're using attribution reporting at the board, you're gonna like it's gonna go on deaf ears. Just yeah, absolutely. You're, and yeah. see, That's they, that's they the point I'm making.
2: That. Yeah, yeah that, that's the point I'm making. Is that, that makes that sense? He, you, for all they all they care about is how much money do we get out of that investment, right? What was the return out of that investment? Now, if you don't have returns coming out, though, uh, the people at the board level will start to ask about the sub campaigns, and if you don't, so you know, you know, if you so if you don't have opportunities, well, how about SQLs? Oh, you don't have SQLs. Well, how many MQLs did you have? Well, where are you spending your money? And you don't want to have that conversation with your board. You want your conversation to be very focused around, this is the return. These are the opportunities that got generated out of these events. Now, at the growth marketer level, you want to be able to see those sub campaigns so you know which what you are going to spend more money on. Um, but how do you then start to actually report on this how do you report on those sub campaigns and that requires a certain type of culture right and i it's you need a culture that supports data governance you need to have standard processes like you know what are your prerequisites before you even have a conversation about implementing multi touch what do you need what what do you have to have in place right so with the gardening you needed to have good soil you needed to have good seeds just to start right but you have to prepare that soil if it's not good soil. Um, And so if you don't have a culture that supports data governance, if you don't have a culture that supports standardized 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 processes for lead conversion, and you don't have standardized naming conventions, and you don't have rules or standardization around UTM pick lists for sourced, medium, campaign, and term, you don't have good soil you're not ready to plant seeds. Yeah. So to, to me,
0: this is the, the, what the term I use for all this is like, you just have to have discipline about this. Right. And uh, otherwise, if you don't have that discipline around, and it could be data governance, but just how these processes work and everybody knows what they're doing, the outcome is becomes less and less reliable.
2: Correct. Yes. Um, and it's more than discipline though, because it's executive support. Right. Uh, if you don't, If you haven't sold to the, if you don't have executive buy-in on multi-touch attribution, uh, or or not so much an executive, I mean like your CMO or your CDO or your CRO, right? Just depends on on the business or your CIO. Um, Then depending on the size of the business as well, it could be a director who's, you know, if it's a small business. If they don't understand it, they're never going to, they're never going to be able to explain it. Right. Uh, the- I, would
1: al- I would also argue that like, <laughs> maybe if you're on your way into an organization, let's just use that for, for the sake of argument. Like if you ask that question and it sounds like there's no culture fit around data governance and, and reliability around data and reporting structures, like, maybe not the best place for you to spend your time as a marketing operations professional, right? Or, or you can provide a ton of value if you're willing to fight that uphill battle fight and like champion the cause for it. And you have the wherewith, not only the wherewithal, but like the comfort and the confidence to go do that. Because I think like for listeners who are maybe early in their career, right? Like we're not saying you need to go like bang on the door of your C-level executives and say like, hey, we need to get aligned on this stuff. Like, that's probably not the right way to handle it. Um, and maybe you're not ready for that. But, like, if you're coming into a role, ask, like, the culture fit, like, point is is tremendous, Jeff. Like, I think it's totally fair to ask, like, does this organization value, like, clean, healthy data so that we can understand the pulse and the momentum of this organization? And, like, what structures do you have in place to handle that? I think are like you know, and even if you're not coming into a new role, right. Those are questions that you can ask today where you're like, Hey, I really want to better understand like how this company works. Uh, wh- like how do we standardize our data process? Cause like, that's the key takeaway here, right? Like the UTMs and all that stuff. Like if we don't have this, the bad data in is bad data out. <laughs> right. And so like, yeah, you know, that, that's huge. I think the culture piece is, is tremendous. And I think we can, like all of our listeners can take away, uh, you know a little like action item right what questions can i ask to to better understand this situation or the problems that we're facing
0: so that's, yeah, that's... you know so, hey so, sorry jeff but i i i also like the other one that i run into all the time is and you've kind of alluded to it in a different context like like terminology of within certain systems right the same a campaign in marketo is very different than a campaign in eloqua that's different you know and so on right um but one of the things i've struggled with is getting com- like getting agreement and a common understanding about when we say this attribution number you know everybody knows what that means and how it's built right at least at, at, at a level that is appropriate for where they are in the organization yeah how how important do you think that is like maybe let's just move to this a little bit like yeah if you had uh you know just a couple minutes with somebody somebody came to you hey jeff Want to pick your brain about? I I think we need multi-touch attribution or attribution reporting in our organization generally. Like, what are those key things you would say, like the top five things, three things, whatever the number is? You say you need to focus on these things, you know, either before or during the whole setup and process to make it successful at the end.
2: Okay. So, right off the bat, I would ask a question: Is this, if the scenario, is the scenario, favorable to multi-touch. Because if the scenario isn't favorable to multi-touch, don't do it. Uh, find the gap. And then that leads to the question of, well, multi-touch is valuable, so how do I roll it out? Well, you need to identify the gaps first. And that is, is there a lack of process in place? Is there a lack of standardized uh, systems and rules around naming conventions and lead conversions? and uh, go-to-market processes. Start with solving those things first, right? And you also have to decide, determine, is the culture ready for it? Because if it's not, just don't bother. Because the last thing you need to do is get, uh, say at the beginning of the year, you get buy-in, and then you roll out dashboards based around multi-touch market, multi-touch reporting and multi-touch attribution, And all of a sudden, someone now, someone new comes in, say, new VP sales or whatever, and they say, oh, yeah, that multi-touch attribution, yeah, it makes sense. It's all wrong, though, because, no, we, no, you didn't bring that lead in, we did it. So you could, you, leadership can change, and the view internally around attribution could change, right? So you want to make sure that there's, a clear understanding it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it but you you can cert if if it's not the company's not ready for it the culture's not ready for it you can start to prepare for it right there's a tremendous amount of opportunity out in the market right now um you know uh the saunders the c2 marketing you know just sent out an email talking about how over the lasting last 18 months um there has Charlie, Charlie Saunders. I couldn't remember his first name. So Charlie sent out an email a couple of days ago about how in the last 18 months, there's been tremendous growth, right? And that there's tremendous opportunity. You can see it in on LinkedIn. There's tons of marketing operations manager jobs, tons of director of marketing operation jobs, even a few VP roles. Um, ironically, I did notice a VP role for Goldman Sachs for marketing operation, marketing technology. And it's ironic because they're one of the first people to say, People need to go back to the office, and it's ironic because marketing operations is one of these jobs that you don't need to be in an office to do. Uh, so
1: we have so we have
2: lot, yeah. lots of uh, tech, deep technical
1: uh, remote capabilities exactly. to, to handle that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's true. So that's interesting. So
2: that is really my first thought is, and I don't want it to be a negative one, but if the scenario isn't favorable to multi-touch, don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. Find, discover why. It doesn't mean it's not a good opportunity to go into the company. A lot of these jobs, when you read the descriptions, it's a lot of companies who have been impacted by COVID. The paradigm shift has occurred and they need to change and they need to change fast. And um, ironically, some of the salaries are not keeping up with the demand. Uh, So there's, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Especially for companies that may have hired people two years ago, paid them whatever the going rate was at the time, and now it's two years later, and they're thinking, I'm not going to give my employee a 50% raise. Um, <laughs> it's like, well, hold, well, you, you know what? You may want to because the market is commanding that.
1: Yeah, the market's pretty, pretty hot to try right now. It's right? That. Like, you we can't. the wa- uh, episode with Highway Ed or the webinar with Highway Ed about how, how, crazy hard it is to find talent in marketing operations these days. And Charlie was not wrong in that CS2 for those listeners out there. CS2 is awesome. Go check it out. They have great, great uh, newsletters and stuff. Um, But yeah, they're definitely not wrong about how hot it is. Um, But yeah, yeah, like culturally that makes sense. Um, So, so playing it back, I think I heard you say like, make sure the culture's there, make sure there's some alignment on definition Get some get some clarity around like what kind of questions you're trying to answer inside of the organization, right? Is there anything else we missed? Those are three things.
2: No, I, I think that's really big. That, that's really big. You know, there's a question I would ask before starting um, new roles, and I would encourage people to to think about this when you are looking at new roles, and and it's the first thing you should ask before you start talking about multi touch attribution. In your discovery calls with them is to find out how they treat failure, right? Is failure, is it a company that chooses to fail fast or is it a company that has a zero tolerance, zero zero tolerance to mistakes, right? Because with multi-touch attribution, you're gonna have a lot of mistakes as you start to roll it out. You're gonna think you're there and then someone's gonna come along and they're gonna say, no, that doesn't count. Those opportunities don't count. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, and this
0: is part of, part of why I, I I was attracted to marketing tech, marketing ops, whatever, um, or in my career was, um, kind of the messiness of it. Like, and I think we just all need to like as disciplined as we are as much as the culture is right. You know, the much we focus on data governance, right. There's, there's just something about marketing and sales data that is gonna always be like I, I would never go. We had exactly this amount of influence over revenue, right? I, I would always say this is what this is the exact number that the that the algorithm is telling us. But really, what I'm more interested in is it are we are we moving the needle in the right direction in alignment with sales and customer success from where the organization wants to go, right? That's to me that's a more like we have to be open and honest. Like the data in our, in our systems is always going to have some holes in it, some anomalies. know, yeah, Especially when you get to things where, and I think it's particularly true with like non-digital kinds of tactics um, where there's more chance for, for things to get missed. So Jeff, to kind of wrap things up maybe a little bit, you know, if there was, you know, one or two things that you've learned along the way that you like just um, our audience who maybe is considering doing attribution modeling or is struggling to get it over the finish line or fighting through it with their organization to get that that culture to support it. Like what would you yeah, you know, what would you recommend? Uh, and maybe the flip side, right? What have you like what would you have done differently in some of the instances where you you've gone through this?
2: So I would say one to recognize that multi-touch attribution isn't necessarily the right tool for all companies. So determine the comp- what is the company like that you're going to or you're at is most of the business coming in through net new or are you more very B2B b b enterprise where 80% of your revenue is coming from renewals and only 20% of your net new every year is coming is slow, slowly coming in. Um, you know, right now there's a huge, huge opportunity for companies like Oracle and SAP to start moving their blue chip customers to to the cloud. Right. And, that, and that's where their revenue is going to a lot of their revenue is going to come from less around net new and companies that support the SAP customers and Oracle customers are going to experience the same thing. Because if your business supports SAP customers or Oracle customers um, or SAS customers, then, or you know, you're only going to get a new customer when they get a new customer if you're selling support tools that service them. So you're hitting
0: hitting on something that I think we just didn't even talk about, which is like, as, and and I think, again, this goes back to some of our conversations, Mike, about what are critical skills for marketing. I think it, we didn't actually talk about this this last time, which was like understanding what the revenue drivers are for your, like your firm. Right. I think Jeff, that's what you're talking about. Right. Because if it's, if it's not acquisition, if it's more about retention and loyalty, like it's a very different model that you're going to be thinking about.
2: Correct. Yeah. And if it's if you're very acquisition focused, you're a new business and only on the market a few years, uh, you're you're focused around you know, you're trying to sell self-service, right? For some of your SaaS products, you're you're following this low-touch, no-touch approach. Um, then definitely you want to be able to marketers want to know what channels are performing best, right? Um, and and you do that, and you build out solid processes. So that's the that's one of those first questions is like, hey, is this actually right for this business? Is this <laughs> going to answer some questions, or you know, really can I do it already on my own in Marketo by just making sure that I I manage my acquisition programs well, right? Right, that makes sense. Uh, and and, you know, and
1: is it not is it right for this business, but just in the stage of the business, right? Like because <clears throat> I could see. I could see, um, organizations at different stages of their life cycle, right? Like uh, Mavenlink is a really great example of that. Like, you know, no, no, no specific call outs here, but like early days, of course, you're, you're talked about, you know, talking about acquisition numbers mostly, right? And as the company continued to mature and we were getting longer standing customers, we're looking at like, what keeps them around, right? Is it services? Is it, you know, is it, whatever. Right. And so now you're kind of shifting your model and you're getting more mature and you're trying to understand like what, like what parts of the top of the funnel are creating the stickiest, you know, most advocating clients for us, the, the, the people who are really passionate about that product. And then, you know, to go beyond that, it's like, but what parts of their experience with us are like keeping them around. Right. And so like totally different Ways to think about like attribution and understanding, yeah, and touch, right? <laughs> and the, the whole
0: concept of like product led growth, the of yeah. And then all yeah.
2: This.
0: So, um, I think I think we're gonna have to wrap it up here, but um, and it feels like we just only scratched the surface of this topic, right? Um, as usual, but it's um, <laughs> this is this, I like this is a great example of why it's such a hot topic for all of us in marketing ops because I think it's really. To wrap your head about around what what to do, when to do it, um, I, I do think we've got some good nuggets here about really a, a, the culture fit, you know, alignment on definitions, things like that are really important. So, Jeff, thank you for for your for your insights here. If uh, if folks want to connect with you and go deeper on this, or just to follow kind of your thoughts online or whatever, where what's the best place for them to do that?
2: Uh, I, I I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so connect through LinkedIn. Uh, I i am not very, uh, I'm, I go in spurts in terms of how active I am on LinkedIn. Um, sometimes I, w- I just kind of want to disappear and focus on work for weeks at a time. Um, and maybe I'll, once in a while, I'll throw out something and uh, like a, a nugget or something like that. And then Later on, I might think, you know what? Ah, That's not important anymore. And I delete it. And I don't. That's great.
1: You're about to uh, get a bunch of recruiting calls, I think. Oh, this guy just occasionally pokes his head out, but he stays buried in his work all the time. Watch out.
2: Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) totally, uh, you know, and um, yeah, the the recruiting, I don't mind recruiting, you know, I don't mind recruiters. Quite often, I'll I'll actually, you know, say, you know, you should really go talk to my peer right? You should go really talk to this person kind of thing. Um, And uh, the only thing I really don't appreciate is when people connect and I'm happy with, I'm fine with connecting with people. I don't have to know you. Um, You know, connections is an appropriate word. The the real value that I learned from a colleague at SAP uh, in LinkedIn was your secondary connections, right? Connecting with people who may have connections to the people you may want to be talking to. Right, so example, if you decide, hey, I want to get a job, I want to reach out for, a rec-. if you're looking for a job or if you're looking for a customer, if you want to reach out to someone at IBM, but you don't know anybody at IBM, but if you look through your secondary connections, people you know may know those people at IBM. I love that. What,
1: like it, Jeff, you have been tremendous for, for this show in so many ways because you just like did this like super meta thing where not only did you provide like, like some actionable career advice to leveraging LinkedIn, it was also a multi-touch attribution comment. So like, I don't know if anybody else caught on to that, but yeah, he's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that was great. <laughs> I think it's great. And, and, Jeff, a, and, a little, and a
0: little touch, a little touch on, uh, you know, the, the nature of the current state of, uh, finding people and resources and the conversation. Like it's all good, right? It's all, yeah. I love it. Uh, man. So, this this is has been great. a great conversation, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thanks to our listeners, Mike. Thank you for uh, joining as usual. Um, for those of you who are listening to this again, as always, please continue to provide your feedback. Uh, we, we really look forward to hearing from you about, you know, what you think of this, the, the episodes, suggestions on topics, suggestions on uh, guests uh, we want to continue to bring you that great content with that though. Uh, until next time, enjoy the time the rest of your day.
2: Thanks guys. It was great.